Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us for yet another conversation today. And I'm joined with, or joined by, actually, I should say, a new friend of mine, Nicole Hoffman. Nicole, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. Well, and uh, we are going to get into a topic today that is very much relevant to the Boca Podcast. It's a reflection, ultimately, of the Photographer's Edit brand. Uh, we're going to talk about efficient workflow, and it sounds like kind of a nerdy topic, but I, I think you're going to change everybody's perception of <laughs> of efficient workflow. We're going to get to that in just a little bit, but to begin with, something that we like to do here on the podcast is to start off with some type of a value add for our listeners. If they only have five minutes to listen, I still want them to walk away with something. So uh, to that point of efficient workflow and saving time, I'm curious if there is something that you do on a daily or weekly basis that enables you to create a little bit of space for yourself in your life? What's your technique for time, if you will? Yeah, my biggest thing, it's nothing fancy by any means, but I found that over the years, especially running a business and um, also having a second full-time job and also a good social life and trying to travel and all of that on the side, my biggest tip, I guess, is really just really calendaring every single thing you do, track your, your business um, events and, and jobs, but also like manually block out time for, for your personal things and trying to really stick to it. Like I, like I said, you know, managing a business and having another job and a bunch of other, other social things. I literally sometimes working from home have to like schedule my showers as crazy as it is. Like my schedule is so crazy that um, my friends make fun of me for literally having to block out time for, okay, make sure I'm getting ready for wherever I got to go out to at certain times, um, since it can vary so much day by day. But that's really how I live my life. Like I have to look at my calendar for everything and make sure I have the time available to do, you know, what I'm planning. Um, and, and I share a calendar with my husband as well, which has actually been really useful for our personal to do's, um, and events. So we, we have a shared calendar and so he can always see when he's making plans with friends if we have something going on already. Um, and that's been working really well for, for a few years for us. Wow. Okay. So this, this actually begs for, at least for me anyway, a question to do with that busyness. And when we talk a lot about being busy and then ultimately kind of minimizing the busyness and creating time for, first of all, the things that are important for our businesses that actually drive them forward and then ultimately creating time for ourselves. I've personally, um, not accidentally, certainly, but found myself recently much busier than I have been at times in the past. I, I pull up my calendar app right now, and it feels like like there's just constantly something going on. Um, yesterday, I actually took a day off. I, I got out of the office and went and did something that I wanted to, and it, it just felt like such a luxury. Um, and to be clear, it's not like I'm working 80 hours a week and you know not getting any sleep and this kind of thing. But where do you think the balance is between being busy because I, I'm I'm seeing it's not just being busy for the sake of being busy. I mean, we're seeing wonderful growth at Photographer's Edit right now. 
and I, I want to keep that momentum going. But where's the balance between finding growth for your business and also not existing in this kind of haphazard 100 miles an hour all the time existence? Is there, do you think there can be a balance? Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I've actually even set this year for 2018, had set kind of scheduling limits for my business. And I'm actually tweaking them a little bit going into next year. Where I'm located in New Jersey, we definitely have a pretty long wedding season. Uh, I would say most of, most weddings are anywhere from May to October, but then we still get some throughout the, the winter months or you know what would typically be an off season for a lot of areas. Um, and I kind of found that I used to just take anything I could for my business. You know, I was very new and excited and um, I was a yes man, as, as some people would say, and I would take on everything because it was, you know, it was exciting and I wanted my business to be successful and I didn't want to, you know, have to turn people away. And over the past year or so, I, I really tried giving myself hard limits as to how many sessions or shoots I would do a week to make room also for a few meetings potentially. And also, of course, the weddings on the weekends, which are crazy, which is usually, of course, a good time for personal activities. So it did take a little adjusting, especially having going into my business, actually, it was right around the time I started dating my husband. So it took a little bit of adjusting for him to realize my a lot of my busy time was on the weekends for my business. And so over the years, I found I was missing out on a lot of personal, um, you know, family get togethers and birthday parties and things like that. And I'm still, like I said, I'm still adjusting it a little bit, but I'm, I definitely find that having hard limits as to how many things I could do per week, as well as how many weddings I would want to take on per month that still kept me sane. Um, I found definitely helps. And and being able to see that somewhere on your schedule very easily and just be able to easily turn people away or give them good recommendations because you, you, you know, you know, you won't be able, you won't be happy if you take it on in the future. That's one of the hard things I think with this business is you want to take it on now, but you are not going to see the effects of it until sometimes a year later and you kind of think, okay, no big deal. I can handle that when I, you know, have six weddings or eight weddings in a month. And then that month comes up at, you know, a year plus from now. And you're kind of like, Oh my God, why did I take all these weddings? Um, so I think kind of setting those, those limits, um, kind of learning and everybody's limits of course are going to be a little different, but um, I think I, I've kind of gotten to a good, a good place where I try to do no more than four weddings in one calendar month and definitely no more than two sessions a week. But I, I guess just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I have to jump in here because I'm so curious. And maybe this would have been a better question to ask to begin with, just to keep things simple. But like the fact that you have to schedule your showers, is that is that not, I mean, it, it's kind of funny in some ways, but at the same time, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. It, does it not kind of cause you to pause and question how you're managing everything that you like, you've got to this place where you've got to schedule something like that, that, you know, might only take 20 minutes or whatever, but like, you've got to actually put it in the calendar to make it happen. Yeah. And that is more so something I kind of sometimes have to plan out, not so much because I don't have the time for it. It's more so because my working from home, I get in the habit of, of waking up and I have certain hours I work on my photography business certain hours I work um, for for Tave, another company. And so sometimes I'm not leaving the house until later on in the evening for, say, a consult or yeah. a shoot or something. 
So sometimes I just have to almost remind myself an hour before I need to leave since my schedule does change every day, depending on what I have going on out of the house. Um, I kind of need to remember, all right, I need to make some time to, you know, get ready. I got to think of that before leaving the house. And of course the commute can vary every day, depending on where things are, are happening. So, but yeah, so it's not so much about not having the time for, for getting ready and things like that. I think working from home is so different that, you know, coming from more of a, a traditional nine to five in an office where I would wake up every morning and have a routine. I think when you work from home, it's, it just kind of throws things off a little bit, you yeah. know, like you have that type of routine. And of course you can, if you, if you choose to, I find that as soon as I wake up in the morning, like I just naturally am, am motivated to right away, like sit at my computer and get things done. And I kind of like reserve certain hours for certain, you know, businesses. But yeah, so my friends do like to just make fun of me about, about scheduling. Like I literally put everything in my schedule and I, and really it's the, the number one thing I look at to, and try to stay accountable to it. Well, and I think this is, first of all, the fact that you are proactively addressing this, this issue of being busy by scheduling things is much more proactive in nature than, than I think the way that a lot of photographers function, whether or not they're as busy as you are or not. There's a tendency that, that I think we all have at some point or another to just react to everything coming in. We're so overwhelmed. It's just like whatever comes up next, whether it's an notifi- email notification on our phone or you know some notification from our computer that we, have, we go respond to that thing, then we jump to this thing, then we get a phone call, and we're constantly reacting to everything. So I love the fact that you're proactive enough to go in and actually block out chunks of time in your calendar to allocate to particular tasks or appointments or otherwise. And I think that's a great example for our listeners. And, and I appreciate being willing to share so much on that very, that, that first question, because I, I think it's something that probably a lot of people can relate to. And, uh, at the end of the day, we need to figure out how to, how to get beyond the busy, be proactive, not only for the sake of our business. So we're not just doing busy work, but also creating time for ourselves. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. And, and speaking of free time, I am curious how you like to spend it. So if you get that time to yourself or with your husband, what do you guys like to do? Yeah. So, um, depending on the time of year, it kind of varies a little bit. I would say spring and summer, we are definitely on our boat or on friends boats or attending concerts are are kind of our two big activities in the fall and winter. We are definitely at giants games. We have uh, season tickets for, for the giants. So pretty much every, every one of those we go to, and that is definitely something I consider when booking weddings. And then, yeah, just doing lots of traveling. Um, I grew up with my father being in the airline industry. So definitely have traveled a lot. Um, Try to block out some time for that. At least one or two vacations or long weekends every year, for sure, in in my off off wedding season. Oh, that's really great. What's a favorite place that you've been in the last year or two? Um, One of my all-time favorites. Actually, our honeymoon was in Belize two years ago, um, and we are actually returning in exactly one month from now, and we're bringing about 20 friends to the exact same place we went. It's actually like this really awesome private island that has nothing but that resort on it. It's a one-mile island, and it has like the overwater bungalows, and um, it's really awesome. Yeah, and so they, they allow you to rent out the whole island, usually for like weddings and events. So we are 
we tried doing that. We couldn't get 30 people, but we got most most of the island booked. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. It'll be a really awesome experience. That is brilliant. Well, I don't think, I mean, that's just not something that you hear about happening very often. You know, I, like I think about... Um, Oh, who is it? Uh, Branson, Richard Branson has his private island yep. and you can, and I think you can actually stay there at times, maybe in association with special events or, or otherwise, but the idea of being able to rent out a whole island for yourself in a place like Belize sounds amazing. I may have to get the name of that resort from you after we get done with the call. Yeah. That sounds incredible. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, so tell us something random, maybe that most people don't know about you. I, I liked, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, actually, I like getting or having the opportunity to get to know our guests um, with our listeners. So do you have something random that most people wouldn't know? Yeah, um, most people are often surprised when I tell them that I actually went to law school before becoming a photographer. I graduated in uh, 2012 and kind of accidentally stumbled into the photography business. Photography was always like a hobby of mine in high school, learning film a little bit, and then kind of picked up digital while I was in law school. I was living in New York City and just very inspired by the area and and always wanting to take photos of of the city. So I kind of learned it as a hobby. And while I was in law school, came home and friends were like asking me to photograph things and all of that. But before before photography was was law school, which people are always like, what the heck? How do you end up becoming a photographer? But But yeah, that's usually something that people are like, surprised by. I have a pretty good contract, though, I have to say. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Well, so do you have any interest in going back into that industry or no? Not really. It's kind of, I mean, I definitely have certain passions with mainly with, I was in criminal justice as in college and undergrad, and then went to law school mainly with the goal of kind of doing doing something to fix the criminal justice system was kind of one of my passions. And it is still something I support on the side with um, organizations like the Innocence Project or, or kind of like a, a side passion of mine. But but I don't really see myself going back into it. I really love owning my own business and and doing the whole, you know, photographing weddings um, and, and all that so much. But but yeah, maybe in another life, I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> it's one well, of those things that I kind of I fell into, I loved my job um, before law school as a paralegal. And it was kind of one of those situations where it was like, I kind of would rather maybe work a little less and make more. And why not, you know, if I'm a paralegal, why not go go all the way and, and become a lawyer? And that's what kind of encouraged me to, to go into it. And I loved, I loved it. I'm, I'm curious though, what the, the jump from, you mentioned kind of getting into digital photography during that time, what was that jump? Like, how, how did you get drawn into photography and ultimately make the jump to professional photography? So while I was in school, I had asked my mom for, you know, a decent camera. I think I started with a Nikon D3000. And mainly, like I said, just to kind of just take photos for fun. And then when I came out, I honestly don't even remember exactly how it kind of how people even knew that I was into it other than maybe sharing photos on Facebook and whatnot. But I had a friend of mine or two friends of mine who were getting married here um, on Long Beach Island and they didn't have a photographer and they asked me if I'd be interested in trying it out. And so I, I actually photographed their wedding that summer I graduated from law school. And then I had a few of my friends who were having babies and 
um, you know, growing their families and had asked me if I'd be interested in taking some photos for them. And so it kind of started as like, let me create a Facebook page to show off, you know, my hobby. And then people started asking what I was charging. And I was like, I don't even know. I'm not charging. <laughs> so it kind of, I kind of got thrown into it almost. And then I kept, I stayed in the legal field for three years. So while I was um, kind of getting into it, 2013 was when I officially started my business, I, you know, created my LLC and, and did all that back end stuff. But yeah, I, I still stayed in the legal career in the legal field for about almost three years, I think, um, working at a law firm while then starting up my business on the side. So I still loved it. It just became, um, my business was growing so much that I couldn't do both. And especially with the commute working out of the house and, um, I just kind of had to pick one or the other and I really loved my business and, and that side, I wasn't willing to give it up. Well, and how cool that you, I mean, it, we're, we're so lucky, really, if, if we think about it, even just for a second, the, the fact that we have the ability or opportunity to be able to choose to do what we want and make mm-hmm. a living doing that thing, I think is just beautiful. And I love that, that you just went for it. I think that's really, really great. What would you say would be the, the toughest lesson that you've learned thus far as a business owner? Definitely from the very beginning is that you can't please everybody. Um, it's really hard being a photographer, so many people think it's, you know, taking pretty photos and, and that technical side of it. But really, it's, I feel like 90% customer service and communicating with people. And, and it's, um, you never know what you're going to get. Everybody has different personalities and different like wants and needs. I learned pretty early on, you know, that photography is very subjective. So while I may love certain photos of a client or, you know, have a certain taste, my clients may look at things totally different from me. And I know I've talked to other photographers who kind of say the same thing, you know, after maybe delivering wedding images, as an example, you know, your clients will pick one for their new profile photos. And you're like, oh my gosh, they chose that photo. Like that's like one of my least favorites or something, you know, it's so, it's so subjective. And I learned very easy or very early on that it's really important to set expectations with clients especially when it comes to editing, it's kind of like people hear Photoshop and they think that you can do a million things with an image and make them look different. And, and while you can do, you know, do some of that if you're really good and, you know, really advanced with Photoshop, but some people just have very inaccurate, I guess, you know, expectations of what the average photographer is going to do um, for them. And so I feel like setting those expectations early on and, um, you know, letting people know like what, what to expect in, in their edits and and what you're delivering is so important. I had um, a bad, a bad, one bad review that kind of uh, made me very well aware of that early on in my business. I, you know, and I'm really glad that you bring this up. I think I've maybe mentioned this a little bit on the podcast uh, in the past, but it's something that's not discussed enough in our industry for those photographers who are, well, whether or not you're outsourcing editing or not, the idea that that the proof images, and I shot weddings for 10 years, so I speak from experience on this, but the idea that the proof images have to be perfect when delivered to the client, and when I say perfect, I mean like completely touched up every single image, uh, I think is such a misnomer. And to your very point about managing expectations, as long as you're letting the client know, hey, look, this gallery that I'm going to provide for you from the wedding, from the portrait session, or, or whatever the case may be, 
these are proof images. They're going to look really great, but understand that if we put those images in an album or you want to order a large print, I'm going to take some more time uh, or have you know my editors take some time and go in and retouch that image. So if there are things that you need removed or blemishes that you want fixed, we can do some work at that point. Just understand that these initial set of images are proof images. And, and the reason I bring this up, I mean, this whole podcast conversation is ultimately about time and efficiency in our workflow. And I think photographers take it upon themselves to create this perfect imagery. And it's just especially detrimental to, to efficiency and the way that they run their business if they're doing their own editing. But even even so, if they're outsourcing their editing, that the cost goes up, of course, if they are expecting or creating this expectation for the clients that, that these images are going to go to them absolutely perfect. And like you said, some clients have this kind of misunderstanding of what is possible, at least with um, the, the price that they're willing to pay uh, mm-hmm. with what can be done in Photoshop. But managing their expectations proactively upfront saying, Hey, look, these are proof images and we'll touch images up as needed after the fact, if you want to order an album or you want to order um, a, a large print and then building the cost of that retouching work into those additional products, I think is a much more, uh, well, certainly efficient way to go, but much more proactive way to, to go about the conversation as well. Yeah, definitely. And you you always have to love like on the morning of a wedding, sometimes you'll be shooting, um, you know, the bride and bridesmaids and, you know, there'll be something like, I don't know, girl's hair out of place or something. And they'll make the joke like, oh, you could just, you know, fix it in Photoshop right. or you could Photoshop that out. And I'm always like, no, 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 that's not happening. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely, it's become just such like a term that people use and they don't even understand it usually unless right. they're of course a photographer. So kind of making them realize that, you know, that you're not going to go through all these images and, and make things uh, look like they weren't essentially. Right. Well, uh, it, it'll help relieve their stress, especially for a wedding day when, you know, the, the expectations on, on, for themselves are so high, you know, I have to look just so, um, it'll help relieve stress in that sense. They don't have to worry about the fact that maybe they got a zit last minute or something was out of place. Um, that can be fixed later as needed, but I think it's important to have the conversation verbally, but also putting it in the contract again, for the sake of managing expectations that these are proof images initially, we will retouch them later on. And sure, some photographers may spend some time doing extra work to those images that go on social media, that go on the blog. Um, But ultimately doing that to 800 images or a thousand images, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. And, and uh, I mean, I can think of one particular photographer I've, I've had a conversation with in the past who, who literally treats every single image that's delivered to the client, the, the, the proofs, the gallery, in that way. And the amount of time that they told me that they were spending processing just one wedding was just mind blowing. And I can't imagine it functioning that way on an ongoing basis and, and relying on that to represent your brand. Like my brand is about, you know, this level of service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're charging $20,000 a wedding, I get it. But if you're charging six, it's a whole different conversation and you really need to manage this more efficiently. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I know I kind of went on a rant there, but I think it's really <laughs> important for photographers to think about the way that they're managing their time. And this is certainly the way that they can save time ultimately by managing their clients' expectations. I, I know yeah. that you shoot weddings and you shoot portraits, but so many photographers do. How do you position yourself against the so-called competition in your market? What's your brand position? Um, I think I stand out a little bit from others in my area um, because of how involved I really get with my clients in, at least in my local area of, of South Jersey. I found in over 130 weddings or so that I've shot so far, 
that I've maybe had one couple who's actually hired like an outside planner to help with their their timeline and their and their day of coordination. So I find that I end up stepping right into that role to help them and make sure that they feel really well taken care of literally from the second I meet them. So I'm super, super involved in kind of going back to kind of setting their expectations, but really like from the minute I meet with them, a lot of times it's their first wedding. So they don't really know what to expect. They're very overwhelmed. And I find that from their wedding consultation with me, I literally plan out their entire timeline for them give them tons of tips and recommendations, kind of make them aware of things that maybe they just never thought of, you know, like sunset time, for example, especially here with a lot of beach weddings, brides and grooms don't even think about that. They know they want sunset photos, but if they are scheduling things to conflict with sunset time, like their entrances for their reception or something, they're like, oh, wow, we didn't even think of that. You know, kind of, I really get super involved, which is totally my my type A personality uh, coming out, but I get really involved with helping with everything even outside of photography for them, uh, most of my clients, and and really helping them build out, like I said, their entire timeline. And it helps them go into their wedding feeling much, you know, less stress. Um, they know they're they're taken care of there. They know I'm gonna be the one um, kind of giving them heads up as to what's coming up next and when we gotta leave, and and they kind of look to me for that. And it also helps me feel better about each wedding going into it, knowing that things are going to run smoothly, knowing that we have a plan. But yeah, I find that that I'm super, super involved. And a lot of that goes into also email communications throughout the way. I, I touch base with my clients probably at least 20 times in, in the average wedding, probably even more, um, initiating conversation about things and sharing advice with them and tips, but really staying in touch, which makes them feel like a, a, a really... Um, hands-on experience there. Yeah. You know, this is something that is, you think would be expected, right? That if you're going to run a decent business, you're proactively communicating with your clients uh, in great detail. And I think we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail, speaking of um, here in just a bit, talking about how you actually go about that communication process uh, in, in an efficient way. But it, it's it's kind of sad to think that some photographers don't function in that way. And yet it is mm-hmm. an opportunity, as you point out, to kind of set yourself apart a bit to more proactively engage with these clients and make sure that they they feel totally taken care of. I mean, we, we've talked about this before in the podcast, but it doesn't hurt to reiterate the, the reality, which is that many of, especially in a wedding scenario, the number of times that I've experienced having the client or the client's parents, family members, friends, or otherwise come up to me and say, oh my goodness, you're such an incredible photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they have seen any of the images yet, but just simply because I'm providing a positive experience for them. Uh, it's, it's so impactful to realize for the sake of your business and the way that you're running it ultimately, uh, and, and I say your as in our listeners, all of us, to realize the significance of the experience that we're creating for the, for the clients. And, and you pointed this out earlier, 90% of, of photography or running a photography business is more about the business than the photography. And mm-hmm. a significant portion of that is that experience. And, and that experience is made better by actively, proactively communicating with our clients in great detail, managing their yeah. expectations, as you pointed out, um, making sure that they understand something as simple as, you know, what time the sunset is going to be and how that plays into the plans for the photography, 
Um, just, I mean, it, it's really very basic in some ways. We should be doing this on, on an active or in an active way. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not always the case. So we do have the opportunity to create a better experience for our clients by, by actively communicating. And I'm glad that, that you bring that up. I want to kind of shift directions here just a little bit. I'm curious, and this is something I've started asking our guests, what's a favorite book that you have read that you might recommend to our listeners? Um, gosh, it's been a long time since I've completed an entire book. I think probably on my honeymoon was the last time, which was more more of a, a fiction. But I would say right now, I kind of pick up whenever I do have free time, or especially while traveling. I like to bring a book along for the plane if I'm not um, you know, editing or, or working on other work. But my big travel book right now is Crushing It by Gary Vee, yes. who I know you're a big fan of. I yeah. love him. But yeah, it's a great book to to pick up and put down. It's not like you need to read it all in one sitting or remember any kind of you know storyline, but I love it. That's a great point, actually. That it, you can read it in, or listen to it in just little bits and pieces mm-hmm. and you walk away with something, not just you know for the sake of kind of mental stimulation, something that you can actually do, do something about that you can act on. And when we are busy as business owners, I think that's really important. It's so easy to consume content, whether for entertainment or for the sake of growth that isn't necessarily actionable. I mean, sadly, so many, so many business books are, you know, 80, 90% fluff, and they could have been kind of culled down to about 10 pages of actually actionable material. And yeah. the cool thing about Gary is you really can. You can read it in little tidbits and he gives you something and you're like, oh, I can go act on that. I can go make that change uh, in the way that I'm handling my marketing for my business. So we'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes. That's a great recommendation. And then yeah. I, I, another favorite, what is a favorite piece of gear in your camera bag? And by the way, for those of you listening in, if you haven't seen Nicole's photography website yet, you're going to want to go to Nicole Klim, K-L-Y-M dot com. And uh, check out her work there. There's this picture, and, and I'm tying this into my question, but there's this picture of a couple, I think, shot on kind of a fall day. It looks like maybe an engagement session uh, with trees. I'm, it, they're cycling through the images right now, so we're going to get to it here. I'll be able to describe it in more detail in a second. But they're they're kissing. They're standing in front of, uh, or in the, in the middle of the frame, some yellow trees kind of hanging over them. And yep. the, the bokeh on that particular image is just stunning. Is it, what lens were you using with that? And actually, I know exactly what photo you're talking about. So that um, was actually my favorite lens, my 85 1.4 yes. Nikon. Um, yeah, so I, I actually remember taking that photo. I think that was one of the first shoots I brought that lens out for. Okay. But yeah, I it was one of those lenses that I, I would hear a ton of people talk about in Facebook groups. And I didn't have it in my bag. And I was kind of, you know, itching to buy it. And I was like, do I really need this lens? And ever since I bought it, like I've even shot entire engagement sessions with it. Like I love it so much. Yeah. The 85, the 85 millimeter is definitely my favorite lens. I've actually been trying for the last year to convert really to go away from like the heavy zoom lenses and trying to shoot more prime. So I've been pulling my 50 out more um, than I used to at weddings, but for portraits, especially my 85 is, is my favorite for sure. Yeah. It's so nice to have the flexibility of a smaller lens that does so much. Mm-hmm. I, I just did a, an interview recently and we were talking about the, the Fuji X-T2. I, I love the form factor of, of the X-T body because it's so minimalistic yet there's, there's wonderful weight to it. So you don't, it isn't feel unsubstantial. There's enough weight to help you keep steady, but 
you can you can move around so much easier without having to carry these massive bags that fit the 70 to 200 and mm-hmm. and you know this this zoom lens and that zoom lens and backup bodies and all this stuff with these mirrorless cameras it gives you so much more flexibility and and I don't know I think it in some ways maybe enables you to focus more on the actual photography versus worrying about all this heavy equipment and so I really love that. And, and um, again, for those of you listening in, you're going to want to not only go to Nicole's website, NicoleClim.com. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes, but you can also check out her work on Instagram. And it's yeah. NK, N as in Nicole, K-L-Y-M, photo, just, yep. just like that. And um, you've got just this really bright, vibrant uh, work that is quite lovely. So y'all make sure that you go check out uh, Nicole's work there. You mentioned earlier that you not only have your own photography business, but also that you work uh, for a company called Tave. And um, of course, Tave is, is, I mean, to put it very simply, and I'm going to let you explain more of, of what you guys do here in just a second, but very simply is a CRM. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of using, utilizing a CRM is, it has to do with this, this topic of, of course, efficient workflow. Uh, you are in an interesting position where you're you're a photographer, but you also represent a, a brand that's about workflow. How did you originally make that connection with Tave? Did, did did part of it at least have to do with your interest in workflow? What did that look like? Yeah, so it all started when I had started up my business. Um, I had quickly realized that I needed a system for everything on the back end. Um, I am one of those rare breeds that. Um, actually loves the the managing of the business and the administrative kind of things um, almost as much or sometimes more than even the shooting. So, <laughs> um, so early on, I was like, I need like a way to organize things. My biggest thing was, um, was the workflow side of things like the tasks and things I need to take care of for every single client shooting, you know, 25, 30 weddings a year, and then like 60 to so 100 portrait sessions. And I was kind of like, I need to know what I need to do right now. And so I, I found Tave first as a photographer for my business very early on. It came as a recommendation from other photographers in probably, I think, a Facebook group that I was in and started out as a user. So then in the Facebook user group that Tave has, I was finding myself very active and just helping other people like with answering their questions, learning the, learning the software a bit. And I actually got approached um, by Jason, who's one of one of the co-founders and developers. And he was like, Hey, would you want to work for us? And so I actually started working as a contractor in the beginning and mainly helping out with answering support questions. And then less than a year later in 2015, maybe 16. I forget. It was three, about three years ago. I just celebrated my third anniversary. So I guess 15. Cool. Yeah. I became, they asked me to come full time. So that, that was the moment I left the legal career officially and came on full time that July and um, have been working for them as their lead customer service rep since. So yeah, it, it's the one great thing about our software, I think, is everybody who works on the back end for Tave uses Tave for their own businesses. Mm. And so they really understand how it works. And um, like a lot of times, I think developers, they don't under, sometimes there's a disconnect between, you know, what their, their client base is looking for, or they may not, you know, understand it as well. So we are able to, to give them those suggestions as to what would be useful. Um, So that's kind of how I, I got into it. And I love it. Like I, I love working for them. I love what they stand for. And I love our team and 
you know, it, it definitely has made me, you know, super organized on the back end for my own business. And, and speaking of what they stand for, how would you sum up Tave's mission? And, and maybe in addition to that, if you can give a little bit of context to our listeners about what Tave even does, or if they're not familiar with the idea of a CRM, what that actually means. Yeah. So our, I guess our tagline is always um, get organized, make more. And so the, the more in that can really be whatever you want it to be. It could be more money or make more time to spend doing the things that you want to be doing, you know, on the side. Tave is a studio management software for creative professionals. Primarily our, our biggest user base is definitely photographers and videographers, but it's been changed over the years. Tave has been around over 12 years now, and it's definitely changed in a way that it's very customizable and that's made it really accessible for a lot of other industries. So we have um, a lot of people in, in the different event industries using Tave, but then we also have, you know, we, we have doulas and we have like a chicken rental company using it. Like we literally have people in all different industries. Did you say um, a chicken rental company? Yeah, there's a company and I forget where they're located, but they, um, yeah, they, they like rent out chickens for like laying eggs and and things like that. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. We've had all kinds of industries, um, magicians and, you know, and then of course, like I said, photographers, videographers, DJs, florists, like people in the wedding industry in all different ways. But yeah, it's, it's a studio management software essentially where you can manage everything from your communications with clients to your, your day-to-day workflow, your calendar, automating a lot of your business is definitely a huge one. And that's definitely one of the time-saving parts about it automating emails to clients and preparing your schedules and contracts and invoicing. And it's, it literally does everything. I I manage all my finances there. I, other than like Lightroom and Photoshop and my camera gear, like everything else that runs my business is done in Tave, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Well, it is. We have, we have so many different things to keep up with, especially as sole proprietors and photography business owners, mm-hmm. that it's nice to have kind of a one-stop shop where you can manage all of it, not only manage it, but then of course have the the assistance of automation and reminders. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I just don't know that we were, if you will, programmed to keep up with as much information these as, as we try to keep up with these days. And um, so having the assistance of a system like that is, is absolutely wonderful. But you mentioned the financial piece, keeping up with finances in the system. So do you not need something like QuickBooks Online in order to manage your, your business finances? No, I've never used QuickBooks a day in my life. I don't even know what it looks like. And I am totally okay with that. Wow. Yeah, I've been managing and part of it is training too. So my, of course, we get a lot of companies who have been so well trained on using QuickBooks since day one. Um, or their accountants like them to use QuickBooks. But I think part of it is I I kind of knew nothing other than Tave in the beginning. And so I've, from day one, I have every bit of financial data for my company in there. So every bit of income I've ever received, every expense I've ever had in Tave, you can track, of course, like your general income and expenses, but also your profit and loss. So my accountant, at the end of the year, I would just print out my profit and loss for the year and it would, everything would be categorized and he would just take that and maybe ask a few questions about things, but generally like go off of that report. That's awesome. It, and it tracks my sales tax too. So every quarter I could just quickly pull up my sales tax report for that quarter and see exactly what I need to, to pay. 
based on what I collected. And yeah, it helps with all of my finances, helps me be aware too of just like what I'm spending money on. Like a lot of times, actually, I was just having a conversation the other day with, with my hairstylist. She was like, we were talking about just how expensive running a business is. And, and I pulled up really quickly my profit and loss in Tave. And I was like, when I told her how much my expenses were for last year, she was like, her jaw like dropped. And she's like, I don't understand. Like, you're a photographer, like what could your expenses be? And I was able to like look that up real quick and and see an itemized list, which also makes me aware of like what I'm spending my money on and and kind of be more, you know, find ways where I can make things, you know, cut some cut some of that out for the following year, maybe. Yes. But yeah, no, I love well, it. And, and I think it's it's easy to get carried away as business owner or photography business owners more specifically on as we alluded to before, the artistic side of things. And while obviously that carries significant weight for a photography business, um, it's easy then to lose sight of something like keeping up with the numbers. And it might sound like a really kind of nerdy or geeky thing to, to pay so much attention to numbers. But at the end of the day, what it really does is put the it puts the power in your hands as a business owner to make intelligent decisions for the sake of your business so that you're ultimately able to make more money. And in no way is mutually exclusive with being an artist. And in fact, and I've pointed this out multiple times before in the podcast, but what what we have to keep in mind is that doing things like utilizing a system such as Tave to keep up with your business and ultimately your finances and, and doing so proactively, what that then does is free you up to be an artist. So if, if your, your passion, your obsession is the artistic side of running a photography business, being a photographer, that's great what you can do is to utilize systems like this will, that will then free you up knowing that, that, you know, that the details, the admin, the finances are taken care of. It'll free you up then to, to focus on the photography. And yeah. um, so these, these concepts of running a business intelligently and knowing the numbers, it's not mutually exclusive with being an artist. And uh, I think we all have to, to keep that in mind. And and you made the point that you can be aware of something as, as simple as your expenses for the sake of making adjustments to the way that you are running your business. So next year, your profit margin is even greater. And, yeah. um, you know, this, I will say that this year in my own company, I've utilized and, and continue to utilize and really dig into data more than I ever have before. And it's honestly, it's so much fun. Um, because you, it, again, the power is in your hands at that point. You're able to continue to make pro- very proactive and intelligent decisions. It's not, you know, a lot of times in the photo industry, I, I think you hear the phrase, I feel like, I feel like doing this, or I feel like I should probably do that, or I feel like maybe I should go buy this thing, or I feel like maybe I should go after this client. You don't have to function in that way based on your emotions, which by the way, I mean, and I speak from personal experience, they're a roller coaster, right? They're up and mm-hmm. down and all over the place. And simply functioning based on your, your emotions, your feelings um, is going to likely put you in a bad place. You can make intelligent decisions that are based on actual data. The numbers don't lie. You can make intelligent decisions based on that information and then let your feelings play into the artistic side of things when you get into the photography, when you get into engaging with your clients. And um, you, can, you can actually capitalize on that in a, in a really beautiful way. But be an intelligent business owner, capitalize on what power you can have by being aware of the numbers. It makes all the difference in the world. And of course, taking advantage of, of a system like Tave means that you don't even have to work that hard to do it. You just put the information mm-hmm. in there and it'll, it'll do the work for you. I think that's really great. So of course, we'll make sure to link to, to Tave in the show notes for this episode. And to that point, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that's listening in, if you don't 
take a look at the show notes, make sure that you do uh, at bocapodcast.com because especially if you're, you want to go back and listen to an episode again or you want to review the information or link to the resources that we reference in these episodes, uh, Haley does just a wonderful job of putting that information there with the episodes. If you go to Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, and again, we'll link to the, the resources that we've mentioned in this episode there uh, at bocapodcast.com. Now, I want to segue into kind of our, our focus, uh, our primary topic today here in the last few minutes about the idea of saving time and day-to-day workflow. I mean, you've got an interesting perspective because you know what it's like to be a photography business owner. You're simultaneously working for a company that's all about efficient workflow. I'm sure that especially with your enjoyment of admin and, and workflow that you have <laughs> learned and probably implemented some, some great ideas around efficient workflow. Will you share some of those ideas with our listeners? Yeah. So going back to earlier in our conversation, definitely the first one, very basic, is having a good calendar system both personal business. Um, one really awesome thing I like about Tave is you can integrate your outside calendars with your account. So when somebody does inquire about a wedding, I have my personal calendar in there as well. So I could easily see that I have a double booking or I have something already on my calendar and I can right away send them the appropriate email saying, hey, I'm not available, but here are some great recommendations, things like that. Just making sure you don't double book you know, I've definitely heard of a few people who have done that before and, and super, it's like one of my biggest fears. But yeah, having a good calendar is number one. I love um, the app Fantastical or Fantastical. I don't know, however you choose to say it. That's definitely, I feel like there's an app for everything these days. And, and that is my favorite calendar app. Um, what do you like about that app? What I mean, there's so there are so many different options out there. What is it particularly yeah. about that app that you enjoy? Um, I've really, I've been using it for so long that I can't even remember a lot of the differences from like the Apple, I'm definitely an Apple user. So I was using the Apple, you know, iCal app on my phone and my computer in the past. I think the biggest thing for me was the ability to like snooze events. So they had like better snooze functions, like weird things like that. Um, but I've just, I've been using it for years now and I can color code all my different calendar feeds so I have, you know, a different business one, I have my personal, I have a Tave calendar, I have a, you know, a shared calendar, like I mentioned before with my husband. So I have, I think now I'm up to like 10 feeds for all the different things um, oh, wow. going on. Yeah. So you can have different feeds all in one place, color coded. It pulls in my notes from, from Tave, like for my different weddings and my little internal notes for myself. It just has been working really well. So I, I just love it. Again, I haven't checked out Apple's like iCal in a long time to really compare, but I like the display of it, how things look. Do you take advantage of the the task management element of of the app? I've actually got it pulled up here on my phone, just kind of glancing through it on the app store. I don't use the tasks in there. I actually use a separate app for that. I use Todoist. Oh, perfect. Yes. It's a beautiful app. I, I use it as well. Yeah. I love Todoist, which actually goes into one of my other, my other tips was definitely, so I have my calendar and then I have Todoist, which actually you can like subscribe to your Todoist tasks inside Fantastical. So Whoa, cool. I have like a separate like feed for there. And actually, that's one of the things I do like about Fantastical that I don't think you can do with iCal is you can have like different calendar sets. So my default just shows me like my photography calendar and my personal calendar. But then if I want, I can quickly flip it to a different calendar set. And so if I want, I can see 
my default plus my to-doist tasks. So if I want to see like all the tasks I have planned for myself for that day, in addition to my actual events, I can do that. So yeah, I definitely recommend some type of to-do list app or task app for just jotting down business tasks and, and goals and things that you want to be able to set due dates for. That has definitely kept me accountable, even for personal personal tasks. I find that anytime I like need to remind myself to do something, I just right away pull out my phone and it makes it so easy to, to quickly um, create a new one, set a date and a time. You could even create different, um, I don't know what they call them in Todoist. I think they're like labels or, so I have like a personal one, I have a photography one and I literally rely on that for all those like little things that I want to remember to do that aren't really tied to a specific client or a or, or to my business at all, like even just personal tasks. So I, I've got a, a couple of follow-up questions, I guess. First of all, to your point, it, um, Todoist calls them projects. So, projects, and I think this is largely based around, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with, with the concept of GTD or getting things done, there's a guy named David Allen that wrote a book a number of years ago, and, and it's simply called Getting Things Done. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. Um, but there are, there's, there are certain principles that, that he presented that enable you to be able to efficiently manage projects and tasks. And of course, those two need to be separate. We've talked about on, uh, talked about that on the podcast before and to do enables you to, to create that distinction or differentiation. So like, for example, I've got my to do uh, pulled up on my phone right now and I've got projects for shopping because that's where I keep my shopping list. And my kids are actually, I've invited them to that, that list so they can add to the shopping list as, as necessary, which is kind of fun. And uh, although you never know what might pop up when, when you go to the store, uh, I've got a separate project for research. I have kind of an allocated time during my week on Saturdays to, to handle research because it's easy to get distracted during the week. You know, just, oh, I want to go look this thing up or go look that thing up. Yep. Um, if I'm working efficiently, I put it in the, the research project and then I can reference uh, those various research tasks later on. I've got a personal project and then one geared specifically toward photographers edit as far as my tasks are concerned. The cool thing about uh, Todoist is that it also enables you to delegate tasks uh, to other people. Yep. And so I've got a, a separate, um, well, a number of projects actually for our, our digital marketing, client outreach, for IT and development, and a separate project for, for the Boca podcast. So anyway, it's, it's a really great app. It's flexible, it's powerful, but it's a very minimalist design, so you don't get lost in it. And I think that's really, really nice as well. But what would you say would be the reason for using digital task and project management systems versus you know, notepads or planners, paper planners, or sticky notes? So I am all about everything being digital. Um, I actually, that was one of the main reasons I even found um, Tave specifically for my business years ago was I found that I was trying to, I was writing notes down on, on post-it notes all over my, you know, iMac screen or on my desk. And I was trying to come up with like a way to create my own planner even that, that managed everything I had to do for all my clients and putting things in a paper calendar which is great. Like I'm a, I actually am one of those weird people who loves like stationery and planners. And every year I go out and I buy this, you know, the next best planner and then I never use it. And, yeah. and it's because I'm so trained to have everything digital. The biggest thing for me is the ability to take it wherever I am yes. and quickly update things yes. when I'm on the go from my phone. So that's, I, I put everything 
as you know, we talked about a little bit already with, with Tave, with, um, with workflows and things, which is, is probably the next point on my list too, was being able to have these automatic workflows get assigned to every client I have based on what they booked with me. Um, and it has due dates built right into it. I don't need to manually write down and check off everything I need to do for every client anymore. Um, and being able to quickly pull it up on my phone when I'm on the go and either check things off as done or add something on the fly that needs to be done for somebody. I know it's there and I can access it from any computer, any phone, any tablet and everything's syncing everywhere. Like I'm one, I'm a big, like digital digital person. I try not to use a ton of paper in my business now. I think the only thing I use paper for really is I have a notepad that I bring to consultations just because I feel like it's more personal than a, having a computer screen in front of me or something to take notes. So yeah, really that's it. I think there is it's great that you mentioned the significance of paper because at the end of the day we're not suggesting that paper is a bad thing or that there isn't something really enjoyable about the tangible process of taking a pen and writing on paper whether for the sake of journaling or you know brainstorming or otherwise but the the caveat here is like well something that we mentioned earlier centralization right having everything mm-hmm. in one place or maybe a couple of places number 1 Two, you, you can't lose the information. Uh, these apps are syncing to the cloud. So if let's just say your phone gets lost, well, you can easily go to the computer and, and pull up that task and project list. Uh, and I think Tave has a mobile app as well, correct? So it's not a uh, downloadable app, like from the app store kind of app, okay. but the entire site is mobile responsive. So every, every browser, whether it's a computer, a tablet, um, an iPhone, or you know any kind of cell phone, yeah, you can pull it up and have the same functionality you get on on a big desktop. And it's awesome. So I, I quickly and that's part of going back to like expenses and all that. As soon as I incur an expense for my business, I've literally just trained myself, I right away pull up like if I'm out, um, you know, say I go to Staples for office supplies or something, I am trained as soon as I'm done making that transaction, I just pull up Tave and, and now actually with those new like Siri shortcuts um, that that Apple came out with. I even set up a shortcut. So she automatically pulls up my Tave account for me in my browser when I say a certain like keyword or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've just trained myself that I just go right there, hit log expense right on the dashboard and get it logged. So I don't don't forget, I don't put anything off. Um, But yeah, so having everything accessible from anywhere I go is, is definitely key for me. Yeah, there is something significant about that. And again, not minimizing what is probably a a pretty subjective topic, you know, paper versus digital, and and certainly not minimizing the significance of paper and and that tangible process. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about creating an efficient workflow, where everything is, as you point out, very easily accessible, it's all in one location, it's not going to get lost. It's so important, I think, to take advantage of the digital tools that we have. And, and actually, I'm glad that you bring up um, the Siri shortcuts. I think we should do, I want to figure out a way to do a whole separate episode or two around um, using voice for the sake of efficient yeah. workflow, because I've certainly been taking advantage of it more, at least when it comes to, to emails and, and text messaging uh, for the last little bit. And I, I literally have, uh, it's funny you mentioned the, the shortcuts app, I have uh, that app pulled up as as a kind of a reminder to go in and, and look at workflow, my workflow with regards to shortcuts so that I can take advantage of 
asking Siri to do a particular thing and not having to manually go and click. I mean, I, I don't like spending a ton of time in my phone as it is. And so if I can just talk to the phone and tell it to do something and not have to yeah. use my two thumbs to, to type away, um, I think that's wonderful. And if, yeah, if, if we're intelligent about it, we can create uh, even more efficiency within our workflow that way. So I, I think that's that's absolutely wonderful. Talk to us a little bit. I know you mentioned a few tips thus far when it comes to creating efficient workflow. And, and I can't thank you enough for, for making time to share about this. But talk to us a little bit about communication and email. Definitely my favorite way to communicate with my clients. I am one that doesn't like phone calls. So I do most of my communicating by email or I'm even welcome to them texting me, of course, within reasonable hours. But yeah, 99% of my communication with my clients is by email and initiated usually by me. I know I mentioned briefly earlier, I usually touch base with my clients, particularly mainly wedding clients. Of course, portrait clients is not as much um, back and forth with. But for weddings, I initiate at least 20 or more different conversations or um, emails. And my my theory is if it's an email that you're going to send to somebody else at least once, make a template for it so you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you need to send that type of email out. So I have probably hundreds, I haven't counted, of email templates that I've set up inside Tave. And so every time I'm initiating one of these emails, either Tave does it for me with an automation, but even if it doesn't, I if I'm manually sending an email, it's usually starting from one of these email templates. And I have to jump in here and say, you know, some people might kind of argue, well, if you're using email templates and automating communication, isn't that impersonal? But I would actually argue that there is a way in which you can add a tone. I'll put tone in, in air quotes here, but <laughs> there's a way in which you can add tone to an email excitement using, um, you know, exclamation points is I, I probably way overuse them, but I want to communicate excitement and interest when I am engaging with somebody, even in a text or email conversation, there's ways that you, there are ways that you can use punctuation um, and the style of writing that communicates a certain level of personalization and excitement and enthusiasm to be engaging with them in conversation that you can add to a template. And mm -hmm. so, so they, your personality is still, um, uh, it has still been kind of projected onto this this email communication. And yet at the same time, as you point out, you can take advantage of the, the templates and save time, not having to type manually type out an email every time you send one to a client. You can take advantage of those templates. So uh, I think that's a good kind of best of both worlds scenario. Yeah, and I've, I've even actually lately have even added emojis into a lot of my templates yeah. in the subject lines because... Once I found a few different companies that I get emails from were doing that, I was like, oh my God, I never thought of that. And so now I do that, which I find these days with all the emails people get um, in their inbox, it's so easy to get lost in there. And so I found including like cute little emojis that are related to maybe the, the thing I'm emailing them about right in the subject line helps them stand out um, as simple as it is, but it makes it kind of more fun and makes it stick out in their inbox a little bit more. At least that's the goal. But yeah, definitely getting things in templates. It saves, it also avoids spelling mistakes, you know, every time you're sending it out and be, maybe in a rush to get an email out, um, having it already pre-written and, and looked over by yourself. And you can always, of course, adjust it as you need to before sending it out for somebody um, if it needs to be adjusted. But yeah, getting, getting it, getting things consistent, I think, each time. So you don't need to remember what you usually say in that type of email. Um, it's already ready for you in a template. 
Yeah, you know, this is, I'm glad that you bring this up as well. And we're, I think, way past the days of extreme professionalism or ultra professionalism where, you know, your reading just feels stiff and boring. Um, And and there is a, because we are, most of us anyway, used to text messaging and utilizing Mm -hmm. emojis. By the way, emoji, it's, it's actually a Japanese word, emoji. And they've they've taken and combined the, the the word emotion or emotional with a a word g or an an element of a word which is uh, represents the idea of a character so an emotive yeah. character I mean it's it's pretty straightforward but the idea that we actually implement or utilize these emoji in emails or in text messages I don't think it in any way minimizes professionalism and in fact if we're talking about creating a positive experience for a client or a potential client, I think they're going to welcome somebody who actually truly engages them with enthusiasm and excitement and a bit of emotion versus just kind of a flat, uh, emotionless email communicating information in a very dry way. And this is something that we talk about it at Photographer's Edit, in fact. And in fact, just had a conversation again about it recently because I want our clients to feel like they have a relationship with us that's important to me and, and to the brand. And, and it, that carries all the way down to something as simple as responding to a, a customer support ticket. Um, so yeah. I, I love that we're having this conversation. I think it's a good reminder for all of our listeners as well. Maybe lastly, you can talk just a little bit about a little bit more about automation. I know you've, you've referenced this a little bit and especially in regards to, to email communication, what other elements of your workflow are you able to automate? Oh, so anything I can, I automate. So with um, with Tave, most of my automations are emails. So things like welcome emails to clients as soon as they've booked and paid their retainer, I send them like a general welcome email, thanking them for you know trusting me with their wedding day and giving them some links to my favorite blog posts that cover some tips and planning advice right off the bat. It also sends them to like their own little client portal they have in Tave. Also, just general confirmation. So even before booking, so kind of backtracking a little, even before booking, I'm, I'm very in touch with them, confirming their consultation we've set up, sending them a, an automated reminder a couple of days before. I send them the morning after meeting with them, I send them a thank you, like a quick little email just saying like, hey, thanks so much for meeting with me yesterday. If you have any questions, you know, here's how to reach me. And, and even a one-week follow-up, I automate that as well. So that if they haven't booked one week later after meeting, I send them. And I tell them this during their consult too. I'll tell them, hey, you know, there's no rush in booking. I don't like to put pressure on them. But I tell them, if I don't hear from you in about a week, either way, I'll probably be sending you an email um, just to kind of see if there's any questions. I know, you know, things can get chaotic. So I send them that one-week follow-up, which automatically goes out for me. And then once they hopefully do book, um, like I said, I send them that welcome email. A few days later, I send them like a what to expect email that goes out. And that kind of gives them, going back to setting expectations, it gives them like, hey, this is kind of a general timeline as to what's going to happen with your relationship with me and when I'm going to be reaching out about setting your engagement session up or when you're going to be getting those edited images back. And when we're going to be doing our final meeting together, all of those little points in the process is in that. And then just little tips throughout the way, because I I find that I've talked to a few clients actually who have been concerned about other vendors of theirs, not photographers, um, 
let's say they're florists. They, they've straight up said to me at our final meeting, like, we haven't heard from her in weeks yep. or months. And we don't even know if she's going to show up on our wedding day. Yep. And I was, and they were all like, if, if only everybody was like as involved as you are. And you know, that I love hearing. I mean, I don't like that they're having that experience with other people, but it definitely makes me feel like all of these touch points are so valuable. So yeah, I, I've reached out to them. A lot of automated emails um, along the way involve things like sending them my recommended vendors list and sending them inspiration for their save the dates before their session with me so they, they can kind of start planning those things out That's cool. and know what they want. Other engagement session planning tips like hair and makeup recommendations is a big one they love. And of course, I do try to encourage them to, to do those trials on their engagement session day, confirmations, uh, reminders, you know, before the engagement session. Of course, a big one is invoice reminders. It's probably the number one thing Tave users ask us how to set up, which we, we've now actually even just installed them by default to every account that they can turn on. Because of course, everybody wants to make sure they get paid. Gallery delivery emails and expiration reminders, especially for portrait sessions. I have those automatically get drafted by Tave for me a few days before the gallery is about to expire. And, you know, and to this point about the, the workflow and the email that kind of follows your workflow, did you alert, did you allude earlier to the, the idea, the notion that Tave can also help kind of automatically plug in a list of tasks associated with shooting a wedding or shooting a portrait yeah. when you put that client in? Yeah. So the way it works is you can set up as many different um, workflows as you need. And so I have a separate wedding workflow than I do, of course, like a portrait session workflow. And as soon as a lead comes in, based on what type of job it's for, if it's a wedding, it automatically gets my wedding workflow attached to it. And that workflow has um, different built-in due dates. So for example, if I like to typically do do a certain task, say a few days after booking, I can set it up that the task is due, you know, one week after after the booking date. So automatically, as soon as they book, Chave sets the due date for that task for me. And then it comes up on my dashboard as it's becoming due. So I can, you know, see it there and then check it off when I've done it. Yep. Um, the workflow I tell people a lot and um, is, is the workflow is kind of more for things that you manually have to take care of that Tave can't automatically do for you. Um, so things like, of course, staying in, on top of your editing due dates or your, um, like I send a welcome gift to all of my, my brides and grooms. And so that's something that obviously Tave can't do for me, although it does automate an email to a person who helps me make one of my gifts as soon as somebody's booked. But that's cool. The actual, you know, preparing the package and all of that, that's something that I have an internal deadline for. Sure. And so I see that as it comes up automatically, but then you can go one step further. And especially for emails, you can then create an automation, which is separate from workflow. And so a lot of those things I tell people a lot in the beginning when I'm helping people set up their Tave accounts and guide them through that is kind of writing down every little thing that you would you do for a wedding client, a portrait client, those different types of jobs you do and and making a workflow with all of those tasks. And then later on, once you feel comfortable with the software, figure out, okay, which of these tasks tasks can I automate? Can I have Tave just take care of for me, send those emails out for me, um, and then remove them out of your workflow? So this way you don't need to be reminded to do them because Tave is just take, taking care of it for you. Um, so that's kind of how I've always, always done things. And I'm always changing my workflow a bit, of course, as my business evolves. Um, but anything that I can automate, um, especially emails, I do. 
And, and like you were saying before, some people get scared or, or shy away from automation because they think it's a little like robotic. It's a little, you know, it doesn't have a personality, which like you already said, you can make it just show your personality in, in that language you use. But also with tools like a good studio management software like Tave, you can use what we call tokens, but basically they're little, little placeholders where it'll automatically pull in, say, the bride's first name for you, and it'll pull in their wedding date for you, and it can pull in their partner's name. Um, you can use these tokens to make things like the whole, the actual content of the message be super personalized, so it doesn't look automated at all. And, and I love it. And then to your earlier point too, just the simple fact that you're staying on top of communication in and of itself is going to make the, the whole experience feel more personal for the client. And, and it, yeah. it, it is amazing at this point with the tools that we have um, that we are not doing that consistently across the board, but there is an opportunity utilizing a system like this to set ourselves apart. And uh, so yeah. I appreciate you sharing those tools with us. And of course, we, we will link to Tave in addition to all the other resources that we've mentioned in the show notes if you go to bookapodcast.com. Nicole, thank you so much for making time to share with, with the podcast today. Can you just, in closing, share one more time where our listeners can find you online? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm nklimphoto, N-K-L-Y-M photo. And on Facebook, Nicole Klim Photography. And also, of course, Tave is, is at Tave.com if you want to check them out. And we've even created a little coupon code for Boca podcast listeners. Awesome. So using the coupon code of Boca, you'll get 20% off a monthly subscription for the first year if you're a new, new Tave user. So Wow, that's um, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, so definitely throw that in the show notes as well for, for anybody. We definitely will. Perfect. Thank you, Nicole, so much for speaking of time. Thank you so much for making time for us amidst your busy schedule and uh, sharing not only about your business and, and what you've learned through that, but also about Tabe Diete. Yeah, awesome. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.